This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. We're in the book of 1 Peter, and we're looking at a section in the book where he is dealing with some of the secrets to successful living as a believer in Jesus the Messiah. Let's begin in chapter 3, verse 1. He's already talked about how we are to behave in relationship to governmental authorities, how Christ is our example, and now he moves and also how we are to operate in the area of what we would call today employee-employer. When we have people that to whom we answer, how are we to relate to them? How are we to respond to them? Now in chapter 3, he moves into another very important part of our lives, that is our family lives. And I have entitled this particular study today, Harmony at Home. The goal in Christian life and the example given in Scripture and even the word that's used, which we'll look at in a subsequent study, for the way we are to live together is the word harmony, not the word uniformity. God created us all as individuals, and that individuality is extremely important in giving us a full picture of the incredible grandeur of God himself. We're made in God's image, and each of us carries a portion of that in our makeup. And therefore, the goal is that we would be in harmony. If you know anything about music, there are certain tones and notes that harmonize with others, and others that create what is called dissonance. And whenever we are in disharmony in our lives with God and with others, it creates a dissonance that we both feel, see, and often hear in our lives. And so he's talking about how we can live a harmonious life, which creates a life of tremendous beauty and is pleasing to God. So he begins in chapter 3, verse 1, this way, in the same way, in the same way that you deal in a harmonious way with political reality and sociological reality and with your working rules and environment. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So the principle here for the believing woman, the Christian woman, so to speak, is that they are to be submissive to their husbands, and by that he means to be respectful of and acknowledging the authority of the husband in the home. Now, this in no way implies that all women are submissive to all men. This is only talking about our relationships in the home and how we are to relate if we are married as wives and husbands, husbands and wives. If you'll just be patient, he's also going to talk about how men are submissive to their wives. So we're talking about, first of all, submission to God and his will for our lives. Then secondly, submission to each other to meet each other's needs and to create a harmonious home and living situation. Now, in this particular admonition, He's talking about the fact that the woman may be married to a person who is not a believer. 
And that happens in today's world. It happened in particular in the first century world in that sometimes a person in a marriage, a husband or a wife, would become a believer before the other one did. And here he talks about how women are most effective in winning their husbands to the Lord. It will be by their behavior, not by preaching at them. The woman's pulpit ministry in the home will be deeply resented. And so the way that they can be won to the Lord most effectively is by their behavior. Now, that's good advice for all of us. Our words are going to be meaningless if they're not backed up by consistent Christ-like behavior. So he says, if you want to win your husband to the Lord, the way you do that is by being submissive to and honoring his leadership in the home and behaving a particular way in that relationship. And he calls that behavior chaste and respectful. That is, you are absolutely monogamously faithful to him and you are respectful of him. Now, later on, he's going to say you're not to be afraid of him and you're not to be kowtowed by him, but it's just talking about respect and honor in the relationship of marriage to your husband. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So the adornment that's going to really win people over to the Lord in faith is going to be the internal adornment. Now, he's not here condemning outward cosmetic improvements, either in clothing or in makeup. What he is condemning is the fact that's where most people stop. That's not enough. Beauty that's on the inside is the one that will be the long-term beauty that will be really attractive to and the thing that will be the most important in any relationship. (laughs) We live in a culture that is really, really emphasizes the external. And I've recently read a column by a lady writer that said the uh, current media elites are about as tone deaf as the 18th century French nobility. And she gave as an example the recent Met Gala on May the 6th, 2019. There's an annual invitation-only festival or gala at the Metropolitan Museum of Arts in New York City, and it's a fundraiser. And you get invited to this thing, and It's a gathering of movie stars, musicians, athletes, wealthy business people, and fashionistas. And you pay upwards of $35,000 a ticket or $200,000 to $300,000 a table to show up and to show off the most outrageous and outrageously expensive clothing and costumes imaginable. It is a meaningless, over-the-top indulgence par excellence. And the writer called up an old Irish nursery rhyme. Rings on her fingers and bells on her toes. She will have chaos wherever she goes. And uh, she said all of this excess would be mildly amusing if it weren't for the fact that some of these are the very same people who shake their gilded fingers at the middle-class Americans and say, no more cars for you, no more airplanes, no more plastic straws, no more grocery bags, and no more meat. And she then echoes Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. Anyway, What Peter is saying here is saying our adornment and the thing we work on the hardest shouldn't just be the external, the way we dress and the way we arrange our features as best we can. It should be the internal attitude of a really wonderful 
loving spirit. And then he gives an example. He said there's an illustration of this in the Bible. In verse 5, For in this way, in former times, holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So here's what he reminds these ladies of. Now, remember, he's writing to an audience primarily of Jewish believers in that Jesus is the Messiah. We would call them Jewish Christians or Messianic Jews. And he goes back to a very important person in Jewish history, the original Jewish couple, Abraham and Sarah. When they married, of course, they there was no such thing as Jewish. The Jewishness came later as God revealed his covenant with Abraham. Abraham believed in that covenant and thus the great journey from Abraham to Jesus Christ was initiated in time-space history. But in that original family, and all of God's program was actually of redemption, was jump-started with that family, that couple. There was a miracle that came as Sarah was barren up until she was 90 years old and then had a son, Isaac. And the Jewish people are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All three of those people and their wives, all three of those couples had miraculous things happen along the way to demonstrate that they were truly, this was truly God's work in bringing about redemption for all mankind. But it all began with this couple. And Sarah, if you've ever read the Genesis account, was not a wallflower. She could be a very assertive woman in her own right. However, she did submit herself to Abraham's leadership. And a couple of times, Abraham, out of fear, put her into some places of compromise and jeopardy. And in both cases, God protected her. And that's the thing that Peter is saying here to these ladies that he's writing to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that if we submit ourselves to God first, and then we do what God says in carrying out the best witness that we can in the environment in which we live, then God will be with us. And we're not to be afraid. And that's what he's saying here. We, If we do it this way, God will bless you. Remember now, we're talking just about in the relationship between a husband and a wife. And I'm talking about the relationship between men and women in general. All men and women are in general are co-equal. Even in the marriage, there's an equality, which we're going to get to right now. And you husbands in the same way. So not only is does the wife submit to the husband in respecting him as the spiritual leader and head of the home, even if he's not a believer, the same way too is that the husband is to be submissive to his wife. Now, one of the things that a man needs is to be respected. One of the things that a woman needs is to be loved. And so in this, there's a commandment, just like Paul commands it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, all right? It is also translated in knowledge or in a knowing way. Now, that word understanding means you work real hard, the husband is to work real hard at understanding her and meeting her needs mentally, spiritually, and physically. The word translated is the word knowing, even though it's translated understanding in the uh, New American Standard. It has to do with the physical intimacy also of husband and wife. So husbands are to fulfill his wife's needs emotionally and physically and in every other way. The husband is to be the provider 
the protector and the leader, spiritual leader in the home, and is to love her the way Christ loves the church. All right? And he's to do that because, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Remember, as far as grace is concerned in the grace of life, men and women are equal. In Christ, there is no male or female as far as grace goes. He's going to tell you why in just a second. But let's just go back about that. There's a phrase, the woman to live with her as someone weaker since she is a woman. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some women on the planet that are stronger than most men. However, there's no woman on the planet that is stronger than every man on the planet. As a general rule, men are biologically stronger than women. Therefore, men have a role in the world as protectors of women and children and weaker people. That's just one of our obligations as men if we're going to really be true to God. That's one of the tasks that God gives men as a gender. We see this illustrated today in the flap that we're having over the transgender issue where you have guys that can't win anything running against other guys who then identify whether genuinely or just surreptitiously as girls so they can be on a girl's track team, for example, and they win the races because guys are just genetically stronger usually than women. So as a general rule, the husband is going to be stronger than than the wife. And so he is to be the protector, and he is also to honor her and love her. The way he submits to the wife is that way. The way wife submits to the husband is to respect his leadership and honor him in that role and not nag him about spiritual things, but demonstrate a godly life in front of him. Then he says to the man, the reason why he should do what he's doing is so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? The way we treat other people is also a qualification for answered prayer. And the most intimate relationship we have is the relationship, if we're married, of husband and wife. And so the way that relationship is lived out under submission to the Lord is going to be a key component in our spiritual effectiveness. The partnership of husband and wife works out two ways. First, they're partners in the physical realm because together they produce children. That is normally. Sometimes barrenness comes and that's a special burden. But one of the desires of most married couples is that they have children. And it takes a man and a woman to do that. It takes a husband and a wife to do that. And they are partners in the spiritual realm because they produce answered prayer. If we do it God's way, and we live in a way that is an effective witness to the people with whom we live, then our prayers will be answered. They will not be hindered. And so one of the places where we get to have the rubber meet the road, so to speak, is at home, where we have an opportunity to trust Christ to trust the Lord with the most important relationship in our lives. That is the relationship that we have with our wife, if you're a man, if you're a husband, if you're a woman. Out of that relationship will come both a spiritual blessing and a physical blessing in this world. 
And without that relationship, we don't have a human race. And without spiritual fruitfulness, we don't have human beings given a chance of getting to know the Lord in a real way. People not only have to hear the gospel, they have to see it. And that's what Peter is encouraging them at this point. Now we move on into verses 8 and following. And he says, to sum up, right? It's a word which means, okay, I'm going to put an end to this stuff. I'm going to move, I'm going to wrap this up. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. That's where we get the word Philadelphia. Kind-hearted and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. That summarizes it beautifully. The whole point of all of this in the realms in which we live, whether it is in the realm of the political world or the realm of the working world or in the realm of our home life, it were to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. That is like we treat our family members like we do brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes that's the problem. We do treat everybody like our brothers and sisters. We don't treat our brothers and sisters very well, but the way the brothers and sisters should be treated in the word of Philadelphia, brotherly love, kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead for you were called for this purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The whole point of all of this is to be blessed. I'm going to get a blessing no matter what, by faith in Jesus Christ. So now we are to become people who bless, not people who curse and retaliate in kind. It's the way Jesus dealt with us, and he will enable us to deal that way with others. May God richly bless you.